0: We're looking at Genesis uh, chapter 11. Um, I've been pretty scatterbrained this morning, so hopefully this will come together and be somewhat coherent uh, message for you this morning. But um, Genesis chapter 11, we're starting in verse 27. This is God's word to you because he loves you. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter in law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for this life of Abraham that you've given us to study, the father of the faith and uh, the father of those who believe. And we pray that you would teach us what it means to be people of faith, to trust you, to hear your call, to respond to your call. And so uh, we come before you and we uh, ask you to be our teacher, I pray that you would Open the eyes of the blind and, and uh, the ears of the deaf. The deaf, And I pray that uh, through me, your servant, uh, a sinner, you would take your perfect holy word and you would teach it to your people and that you would feed them and assure them of your promises and assure them uh, that your grace is sufficient for each one of us. And so uh, we thank you that you are far more committed to us than we are to you. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So uh, we are uh, continuing our series uh, in the book of Genesis by looking at the life of Abraham. Abraham's, uh, you know, a pretty fascinating figure. Uh, Roughly half the world population uh, finds their religious roots in this one guy uh, living, you know, roughly 1800 B.C. And uh, Islam, Christians, Jews, all trace their religious roots back to Abraham. And, uh, but the Bible says that the thing that, that Abraham is most commended for, the most important thing about Abraham, was his faith. And I mentioned that in my prayer, that he, uh, he was the father, that's what Romans says, he's the father of all those that would, that would believe. And, um, and the reason that that's uh, important to us is because really at the core of what it means to be a Christian, is it's really not about being a good person. It's not about learning spiritual disciplines. And of finding out how to get in touch with your spiritual side. That's not the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's not being a good person. It's not obeying the Ten Commandments or being nice to people or loving people. That's not the core. The core of what it means to be a Christian is that you have faith, that you trust in the promises of God. That's the the heart of what it means to be a Christian. You believe, And all the promises of God are kind of wrapped up in Jesus, in the gospel. And, you know, I'll tell you, this is something that I've thought about over the years is that um the world as humans one of the things that we do as humans you might not recognize that you do this is that we basically divide the world up into two groups of people people who kind of get what it means you know who get it get life get human life and those who don't right so you know most people are kind of there's good people and bad people right you know there's people who are kind and generous and they do nice things and then there's there's bad people who are greedy and bitter and self-centered And we can kind of divide the world or, you know, maybe functionally we think in terms of we divide the world up into people who are good to me. People who are nice to me, that do nice things to me. Those are my friends. And then there's people who don't do things that I like and those are my enemies. So whether we divide the world up into good, bad, friends, enemies, in people, out people, we divide the world up. And, you know, actually many people in our day might say actually that's the whole problem with humanity, is that we're dividing it up into an in-group and an out-group. You know, whether you're, you're, your tribe or your religion is in and you divide it up into, into an out-group, why don't we just eliminate the distinctions, right? Why don't we just get rid of the distinctions? Let's just tolerate everyone. Why don't we be tolerate? Why can't everyone be in, right? Well, that sounds good but uh, on the surface, but the problem is that as soon as you do that, you say, let's make tolerance our highest virtue, then you're going to divide the world up into tolerant people and intolerant people, right? And you meet a fundamentalist, and you're going to be intolerant of intolerant people. And so there's no way around it. You're going to divide the world up no matter what. Um, And so the question is, how does the Bible divide the world up? Now, most people think that the way that the Bible divides the world up is into moral, good, religious, moral people who obey the rules and bad... uh, Wicked, dirty pagans who don't obey the rules. Well, um, as it turns out, um, Abraham is, is about as in as you can get with God. He's about as much on the in group. It says, the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. Uh, he's, uh, throughout the New Testament, he's kind of a paragon of, of, of faith, of what Christians are supposed to be. And what we're going to find out is Abraham was not a good moral person. And then, you know, next week, you are going to find out that um he went down to Egypt and, and basically sold his wife because he was a coward and he didn't want to get hurt and so uh he made some money off his wife and uh and she became a uh, uh a mistress to the to the pharaoh in in his harem or one of his wives and Abraham just sit there silently is that a good guy uh chapter 16 we're going to find out that he uh uh he took his Wife's um, servant as a girlfriend, got her pregnant, and then kicked her to the curb, her and the baby, to be homeless with no one to care for him. If I met someone like that, I wouldn't say he's a good guy, <laughs> right? I wouldn't say that's a good guy. So he's not—he's not this perfectly moral, uh, good person. What is it about Abraham? And uh, the Bible says, actually, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can't divide the world up into good and bad because if you try to do it. Everyone's in the bad. <laughs> so the Bible says that the, the the thing about Abraham was that he trusted God. He had faith in God. It wasn't that Abraham was good. It was that he trusted in the goodness of God. And that became uh, the thing, the transformative element, the, the, the thing that transformed his, his life, the thing that set him apart was that he put his faith in God and he trusted in God. And, you know, we're going to talk about faith, but let me just make a couple comments. Why I think that's it's important to divide the world up in terms of of faith. Of, you know, that's the way that God divides the world up is, it, is who believes in Him, who trusts in Him. Is that for one, if you divide the world up that way, faith? If you're really having faith, you're not going to have any sense of superiority over people, right? If you believe I'm I'm a sinner just as much as anyone else, I know my neighbors are more ki- my non-Christian neighbors. I'm sure they're more kind than I am. They, uh, they're they more generous. They listen better. I, that wouldn't surprise me. I'm not a Christian because I'm a good person. I'm a Christian because I'm a sinner. And I need God's grace. So I I'm not, I, I don't think I'm better than someone else. Because I'm, I'm actually a Christian because I know how, how bad I am. So there's no sense of superiority, which is unusual. If you divide it up into good and bad, if you think you're a good person, you are going to look down on people who are bad people. You're going to say you're immoral. You're lazy. You, uh, you know, you're... you Watch bad movies. You drink too much. I don't do those things. I'm going to look down on you. Faith doesn't create that superiority. And also, faith is something that anyone can do. You know, if you divide the world up into kind of nice people, you know, who, you know, they're charming and they say, you know, they don't talk too much, or they uh, they're, they're generous with their money, and, and they know how to make good friends. And people who are kind of antisocial—that's generally how we divide the world up—is kind of, are they sociable or are they antisocial? If you do that, I mean, not everyone is going to be equally as social. You know, it depends on their upbringing, it depends on their temperament. And uh, but faith, anyone can come and believe. Jesus says, anyone comes to me. Are you educated? Are you uneducated? Are you a child? Are you an adult? Are you? Uh, do you have a temper? Do you um, uh, are you funny are you not funny? Anyone comes and they can and God receives them in his grace they can trust in his faith so faith um, has qualities about it that it, it doesn't create superiority and uh, anyone can come it's open to all people you receive it freely and so that's the way the bible this, the Bible says that the key to human life the center of what it means to get it as a human to get human life means To believe, to trust in the promises of God. So we're gonna, what we're gonna do today, as we look at this passage, is we're gonna look at faith. And actually, for the most part in this series, we're gonna be talking about faith in 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 different respects. Um, But this first week, we're gonna kind of talk about it generally, and um, and specifically um, how here we have God's call to Abraham, and he responds with faith. And so basically, I just want to tell you, talk about two things. First of all, what is faith? What does faith look like? And secondly, I want to show you that faith is actually essential for loving people well. If you want to really love people the way the Bible calls you to love people, you need faith. You can't do it without trusting in the promises of God. I promise you, you can't. Okay? So we're going to look at those two things. First, what is faith and why it's essential for loving people well. So first, what is faith? Now, in our culture... most people think of faith as basically a kind of vague kind of spirituality. I have spiritual feelings where I feel a sense of connection to the universe or to other people. And it's, it's, a, it's a vague uh, physical feeling in your heart that you have. That's what faith is. Um, I, I gave you... Um, uh, this is very different than the, than the Christian understanding of faith. Christian understanding of faith is trusting in the promises of God, the concrete promises that he's made to us. And I, I printed in your bulletin on page three a little, uh, little quote from John Frame. Who's, he's a theologian that I really like. Um, he says this, Scripture emphasizes faith in two contexts. as the way in which, First, as the way in which we initially receive God's saving grace. So it's an initial act, it's an initial decision to receive God's grace. That's what faith is. And secondly, it's a, it's a mentality that pervades the Christian life. So faith is first something, a way that you receive God, that you begin a relationship with God. And then secondly, it's the way that you live as a Christian. Now, now by the way, just as a side note, many Christians don't function that way. They think that they become a Christian by faith. And then they re- live the rest of their life by gutting it out and, uh, and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and being a good person. Instead of in the same way on day one when they receive God's grace, that's what they do every day of their life is I'm a sinner in need of grace. That's, that's, how, that's our food. It's like that's what we live on. That's day-to-day Christian living is faith. Okay? So I want to talk about those two things that faith is first a kind of decisive initial moment. Faith is an, an initial decision to receive God's grace, to trust him. Um, you know, another thing, way that our, our culture describes faith is as being a journey. You know, uh, spirituality is a journey. There's, uh, you're, you're traveling along it. You're not, uh, you don't. it's not an in or out. It's kind of, you're, you're going along, along a path. And to some extent, that's true. You know, if you're a Christian, you're going to grow your whole life. You're going to learn more about God. But you've got to get on the path first. And faith comes by uh, getting on the, you know, it's kind of like being married. Mar- uh, marriage is a journey. You're going to learn about each other. You're going to grow together. You're going uh, to change, and you're going to hopefully f- love each other more, fall more in love, or learn more about each other. But you've got to get married first. The journey doesn't begin until you say, I do. And that's the same way it is with God. You can't just say that I'm kind of loosely um, on a journey with God until you've gotten on the path. And um, what we see here is with Abraham is this an initial decisive moment to walk to, to decide to walk with God. You see that here in chapter twelve, verse one. God says to Abraham, uh, and by the way, I'll, I'll refer, it says Abram. Abram's name is changed later uh, to Abraham, so I'm just going to refer to him as Abraham. Same with Sarai. is her name is changed to Sarah, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call them Abraham and Sarah. Uh, And we see that God says to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. So God is calling Abraham to leave, you know, uh, to leave his country, his kindred, his father's house. And these things kind of represent uh, in uh, kind of narrowing degrees Abraham's whole life. He's telling him to leave it. He says his country. His country is, is basically his physical comfort. You know? and it's actually literally the land. Leave your land. The, you know, that's where your orchards are. That's where your, uh, your sheep are. That's where you've got wells. That's the thing. If you're going to become a nation, if you're going to be someone great, you've got to have some land. You know? And we, we have some sense of that in our culture that, you know, that's still part of, somewhat part of the American dream to own a house and have this is my land. Um, it, uh, God is saying to Abraham, I want you to leave that. I don't want you to put your trust in that. And then he says, I want you to leave your kindred. Kindred's roughly your your social network. You know, that's your group of friends. Uh, it's, It's your extended family, but it's more than that. It's your neighbors. It's the people who know you, the people who grew up with you, the people who knew your story. And we depend on that for security. And God says to him, I want you to leave it. I don't want that to be the center of your life, the thing that you're depending on. And then finally, he says, probably the closest to Abraham's heart, he says, I want you to leave your father's house. And in Abraham's culture, the father's house, that's his identity. You know, if you read through Genesis, it's always talking, you know, at the beginning of this passage, it says that Terah fathered uh, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. That's who Abraham w- was. In that culture, who's your father? That's, that gives you a sense of status, right? You know, uh, we might not experience that much in Bellingham, but when, w- when we were living in St. Louis, this is very much how it is in St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis is an old city. There's a lot of old money, a lot of old families that have these businesses and have a lot of money. And people actually want to know, what's your last name? Who are you connected to? What high school did you go to? That creates a sense of status. Um, it makes you somebody of, of it's, it's very close to your identity. It's very close to what your job is going to be. Like back then, if your dad's a, you know, your dad's a dairy farmer, your dad's a carpenter, that's what you're going to be. And God is saying, I want you to leave your identity. All these things that you trust in, in your life, you have to, at a decisive moment, say, those are not the center of my life. God is the center of my life. And uh, you'll see, you know, that sounds like, wow, why is God asking him to do all that? But you'll see that immediately after God says that, he starts piling on Abraham promises. He just piles them on. Listen to this. And, uh, you know, go from your your country and your kid and your father's house to a land that I will show you. I want you to leave your land, but I'm going to give you a land. Same word, country and land, same word. To a land that I will show you, and I will make make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The dominant tone in making a decisive decision to say I'm going to trust God, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to walk with God, is God's promises. He's not, say, he's not piling on to Abraham, then Abraham, I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this, and then I want you to do this. No, he says, I want you to leave, and then I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, over and over again, God is saying, this is what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm sufficient for you. So the dominant tone is promises. And it says in verse four, and Abraham went. He believed. He threw himself on the promises of God. And, um, you know, I'll tell you from, we know from Joshua 24 that actually Abraham's family, they, they weren't like a church-going family. They were, uh, they lived in Ur and then they moved to Haran. Those were both centers of moon worship. They were idolaters. They were, they were just dirty pagans like the rest of us. They weren't churchgoers goers And uh, there was nothing special about him. And God called him. And, you know, I, I should also say this. You know, he comes from a messed up family just like the rest of us. He comes from a brokenness. He's a broken sinner. And uh, God said to him, I want you to leave that life and I want you to trust me and trust the plan that I have for you. And he did. And his life was changed forever. And I'll tell you that um, the Bible says that all of God's promises, all of them, these ones we're reading in, uh, in Genesis, all that you'll read through the Bible Find their yes in Jesus. In Jesus are wrapped up all the promises of God. And so if knowing God, if having faith looks like trusting in the promises of God, you have to, you have to line yourself up with Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. That's what it means to get on the path. If, if faith is a journey, you've got to get on the path first, and Jesus is, is the path. And so, in, you know, from many of you, you have made that initial decision to say, I believe, I trust. Uh, but some of you may not, may not have. Maybe you come here and you say, this is a place where um, I want to be inspired. I, w- I want to hear interesting things about God. But the question is, have you made an initial response to God's promise and personally said, I, want, I believe by faith? Have you made that a dis- initial decisive moment? Well, let me just encourage you that if that is you that, and you're here, God invites you to trust him. To say, I'm, uh, my identity is not going to be in comfort in my social network or uh, in my sense of status in the world. My identity comes from the promises of God, and I'm going to trust in them alone. And so God invites you to believe and to trust in him. And that's where faith begins, is by getting on the path. Okay? But second, faith is also a way of life. Um, now, one of the things... remember as we're studying through genesis is that um genesis didn't kind of float down out of the sky and like like glowing or something like that and like this is the bible it wasn't like that actually this was a book written to uh to a church basically to god's people who uh needed needed uh, encouragement and it specifically was written by Moses you know the story where uh, Moses led Israel out of the uh, out of the promise or out of Egypt and there was all the plagues the 10 plagues they went through the Red Sea and they're in the desert and then they're going to go into the promised land and God's going to give them this promised land and they're in the desert and they're tired and they're thirsty and they're losing faith and they're not trusting God and they're saying God what are you doing and they're grumbling and they're complaining and so Moses writes Genesis to them and he says here read this um and because what the people are saying is they're saying okay we saw god that you saved us you you uh you know we were enslaved and you brought us out of slavery you gave us a new life but now we don't have food we're thirsty we're wandering around the desert are you going to see us are you going to see are you going to finish the job that you begin and uh and you know that's what the situation that many of us are facing Many of us become Christians, and, and there's a hope that, you know, I believe that God is good. I believe that he has promises. I want to believe that. But I'm finding that life is hard. I'm, my marriage is difficult. Uh, my, uh, maybe I'm struggling to find a job. I don't have that much money. Um, I'm struggling to raise kids. I'm having hard relationships. I'm struggling with sin. There are certain sins that I just never seem to get over, and I keep facing them, and they're, they're a big problem. And the question for us is not just initially did God save us, but can God see us to the end? Can God see us all the way to, uh, can he finish the work that he's begun? And that's the question that the Israelites who are getting this book are asking is can can God finish the job? And that's a question that we should be asking. Can God finish the job? Can God can God make anything of my marriage? Can God make anything uh, of uh, You know, my depression, I've been depressed for years. Is is there any hope? Is there any hope for the future? And I'll show you, it's very interesting how Moses communicates that by telling uh, Israel the story of their father, their father Abraham, their ancestor. And, uh, you know, this this text, you know, talks about... um, uh, you know, Abraham, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And that's kind of who Israel is. You know, I kind of picture Genesis is basically, have you been down to Fairhaven, how they have the movie night out on the lawn? You can sit out on the lawn and, and it's outdoor movie night. And everyone's kind of sitting on the grass. I, I kind of picture it like that, you know, all the Israel, are sitting on the grass and they're reading Genesis and they're hearing, you know, all these things are happening. And then God says to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then they're like... <gasps> That's us, you know, that's us he's talking about. It. And we're in the story. That's us. And, uh, and, and so they're listening to what's happening. And what it says is that Abraham, he was in Ur. And then if it, Ur is kind of rush, roughly the, the per, just inland from the Persian Gulf. And uh, there's the big Arabian desert. He goes up from Ur to Huron, which is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, around the Arabian desert, and then he's going to come down into Canaan. This is what Abraham's going to do. And look at what it says. I'm going to read this passage. I know it's a little long, but uh, verse 4 so Abraham went, and the Lord had told him, and Lot, uh, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abraham took Sarah, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions uh, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that, time the Canaanites, um, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Right? They were like, Oh, that's us, right? Think he's going to give us the land. So he built there an altar to the Lord uh, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and p- pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, Um, this, you know, as you read this passage, you're like, I don't know what these places, Shechem and Bethel and Ai and uh, the Negev, what are all these places? But to the original audience who are sitting there hearing the story read to them, they're saying, he just, he did what we're about to do. They're sitting in the desert looking at the, at the promised land and there's this, these big nations that they're going to have to go battle and they're saying, I don't think we can make it. I don't think we can make that battle. And they're hearing about Abraham marching right into Canaan. And if you know where these places are, they go from north to south. Haran, Shechem, Bethel to the Negev. Goes right from north to the south through the, the land of Canaan. He marched right through. And did you catch that little phrase there in verse 6? Where it says, um, the, uh, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Abraham faced those same Canaanites that Israel is about to have to face. And he trusted God, and he walked right into it. And they're hearing their father, something that they're saying, there's no way we can beat those Canaanites. There's no chance for us. Abraham marched right in there. He's worshiping God. He's building altars, <laughs> unafraid and unharmed. And I'll tell you, you know, you know, seeing your father kind of do something unharmed, well, you're sure he's going to be harmed. I remember we... Uh, when I was a kid, my my folks owned a uh, an arcade. Actually, when I was ten, this is kind of a kid's dream. It was uh, it was called Zones, and there was about 150 arcade games, and uh, mini golf, and batting cages, and uh, so I'm a ten year old. My parents own this place, and I I worked there, which meant me eating nachos in the concession stand uh, half the day, and uh, and I remember one of the rules about uh, Zones was. It, you know, my dad was very clear this was going to be a family place. So if, if these, you know, gangster hoodlums came in with their pants, you, you had to pull your pants up to come into the, into the place. And I remember I'd be sitting, you know, behind the counter or in, the, the, um, in the, uh, the staff room or something looking out the window, and I knew some hoodlums came in, and they're, they're being loud, and, and, and um, I, you know, I know my dad's going to go kick them out. And I was sure, I mean, I was like, gangsters kill people, <laughs> He's going to get shot if he tells them to kill. And so I'd be sitting there, and I'm sure if he goes and he tells them to can it, that's what he would say, guys, can it. That's, and I, if he goes and he tells them, they're going to kill him. They're going to pull out a gun and shoot him. And I had all these daydreams, actually, of me running out, like, no, dad, and taking the bullet from my dad. And uh, so I had these huge dreams of if he goes and does that, he's going to be slaughtered. And I just watched my dad go up to him, can it. And they were like, mm, you know, screw you, man. And then they leave, right? And, uh, and I was like, wow, they didn't kill him. It didn't happen. That's what's happening here is in Genesis. God's saying, look, at Abraham trusted God. He was unharmed. He didn't die. The Canaanites didn't kill him. He's worshiping God. It didn't go that way. And for many of us, when we're facing that question of can God see us to the end? Can God finish the work that he's begun in us? We think we know the future. God can't change my depression. God can't change my marriage. God can't uh, bring me out of this sin. And, the, and what the, the text says is that faith is not just initially believing God, but it's also it's a way of life saying, I'm going to rest in, I'm going to throw myself on the promises of God. And you need to know the promises of God. God will not tempt you beyond what you are able, but he will provide a way of an escape. If you are wrestling with sin that's uh that's a a a promise to god that he will see you out of it your only hope is to trust him in it i will finish the work that i've begun in you my grace is sufficient for you my my uh strength is made perfect in your weakness these are promises to you lo i will never leave you uh, even to the end of the age god makes promises and promises you do not know the future and what Abraham does is Abraham walks into a land. You know what? You know one of the things that says God says, "You know, I want you to leave your country and your uh, and your kindred and your homeland, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you." He didn't know what the land was when he left. You don't know what's in the future. You don't know what God has for you to trust Him, and you just trust that He's good. And what faith is is not believing that I'm good, that I'm strong, but it's believing that God is good, that He is strong. And I'll tell you that. Um, you know, it's not just a feeling. It turns out when you do that, it not only will comfort you; it will comfort you, but it will actually make you into a new kind of person. God will make you into a new kind of person through your faith, and that's the second point that I want to I want to get to. Um, first, that's what a description of what faith is: it's an initial decision and it's a way of life. But second, faith is essential for loving people well. Faith is essential for loving people well. Um, you know, I, I went to seminary in 2006, and uh, when you, uh, the seminary I went to, one of the first classes you take is called Covenant Theology, was a life cha- totally life-changing class for me in a n- number of ways. One of the classes that was most life-changing for me was a whole class on Genesis 12, This Promise to Abraham. And because, you know, I knew that God uh, saved people. I actually, I knew that God chose people. That it was all of his grace that he went and sought out people and he, he rescued them and saved them from sin. I'd seen that in my own life. You know, I was a punk kid. I dropped out of school. I was on drugs. And God just chose me and, and he barged, intruded into my life and he rescued me. I knew that part. But in, in covenant theology, what they told me is in Genesis 12, that's what happened with Abraham. You know, Abraham's uh, dirty pagan. And, uh, and he's, a, he's not a good guy, and God chooses him and calls him, and, and Abraham goes. And this is what God says in his promises uh, there in verse 2. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. So he's making all these promises, and he says this, so that you will be a blessing. And what that awakened my eyes to is that, when, you know, why was God doing all this stuff in my life? Why was God answering prayers and helping me and uh, making his promises true? And it wasn't just for me. God chose me. God saved me, not just for me, but for the world. That's what it says to Abraham. I, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will find blessing. And so um, my, God's calling in our life by faith is not just for us. But it's for the sake of the world. God didn't make this church just for us. God made this church for Bellingham and for the world. He has bigger plans beyond us. And I'll tell you that um, that obviously includes blessing people, loving people, and And I'll tell you that if you think that loving people is something that you can just do, I'm just going to be a nice person, I'm going to love people, I I guarantee you have a very shallow view of what love means. Because uh, you absolutely, love demands something of far beyond anything that you have the resources for by yourself. You don't have it in you to love people the way the Bible calls you to love people. Um, Because loving people the way that Jesus calls us to love people is far more than being kind of nice. And the first time you meet meet people, you're, you're kind of nice and charming. You're easy to get along with. That's not the love that he calls us to. Jesus calls us that when people are in hurt, in brokenness, in sin, for us to step into their lives... And step into complex situations that you can't fix. You won't know what to say. You won't have the answer. You won't have the solution. And if you don't believe the promises of God, if you don't trust that there is a God whose promises are way bigger than you, then you're either going to say, "Well, you're going to give some trite answer to kind of deal with the problem." You know, why don't you know why don't you just pray about it and figure it out, or why don't you just stop doing that, or uh, or uh, you know, you're going to have some trite answer because you're you're going to have to you can't control the situation the only way that you're going to be able to stay in there by faith with uh with patience with compassion with hope the hope that people need is if you really believe that god is at work and that god can do things that you don't even know what he could do you absolutely need faith in god because faith gives you the resources to really love people um that you don't have by yourself and uh It gives you courage, it gives you wisdom, it gives you patience. And um, I'll tell you that if you don't think that's true, if you think that you can just step in and love people, you probably haven't stepped into someone's really complex life, a messy life, and had to walk with them in it. And if you really do that, you find that what you need far more than anything is an assurance that God is in the middle of it, that God is working, and you don't even know how, but you're throwing yourself on the promises of God. That's all you have. And I'll tell you that um, loving people is about giving them something far beyond you. You're giving them something more than you are, more than you have. Isn't that what they need? And I'll tell you, uh, you know, Galatians 3 uh, quotes Genesis 12. uh, Fascinating passage. Uh, This is what it says. Galatians 3.8 says, In the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. In Galatians, Paul is saying that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham in Genesis 12, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And what God is saying is, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation of you. But the thing that you're going to have, it's not you. There's something in you. There's something in the nation that's going to come out of you that is what the nations need, that what people need. And that's Jesus. And that's the same for us as a a church. What we have, the thing that's in us, the treasure that's in us, is not us. It's not our good hearts. It's not our good intentions. It's not our good abilities. It's Christ. And Christ is the only one that can deal with the complexity, the sin, the brokenness, the magnitude of hurt and brokenness that is in our world. Only Jesus can deal with it. And so the only way that we can really step into people's lives and walk with them is if we have Christ by faith. And so um, you see how essential faith is. Faith is an initial act. It's how you get on the path. It's the way that you walk with God is you trust in, the, in his promises. That's the, the story of the Christian life is resting in the promises of God. But it's also, it's absolutely essential for loving people. It's essential for us as a church that if we're really going to be a loving church, that the core of who we are is that we believe the promises of God and we trust in them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that you call us to is radically different than anything the world has, where we don't believe in our own strength, our own wisdom, but we trust in your goodness. We pray that you increase our faith and give us faith like Abraham um, to walk into uh, things that uh, seem dangerous, that uh, uh, seem unpredictable, that we're afraid of, and that we would Throw ourselves on your promises and rest on them alone. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.